This is an ABC podcast. So just take a quick look at your hand. Unless something is really wrong, you know exactly where to look. You know it's your own hand you're looking at. And if you wiggle your fingers, you can feel them move. Your brain is doing a lot of work to enable all of that. But what if it lost track of what was your hand and what wasn't? The rubber hand experiment is famous. It was first done in the 90s, and researchers got a bunch of participants to sit at a table with their left hand resting on top. A screen was set up to block their view of their hand, and a life-size rubber hand and arm was placed in front of them, in full view. The experimenters then used paintbrushes to stroke both the rubber hand and the participant's hidden real hand at the same time. Remarkably, people reported that they started to think the rubber hand belonged to them. Essentially what's happening is this very simple manipulation is is creating a discrepancy between what you see and what you feel. And that's enough essentially to to trick the brain into thinking the rubber hand is, is a part of your body. This is Mo Costandi. He's a neuroscientist, science writer, and author of Body MI, the new science of self-consciousness. And even weirder, he says, is the fact that subsequent experiments found this rubber hand optical illusion made the real hand behave in bizarre ways. Its temperature drops by fractions of a degree. It becomes less sensitive to pain. It's as if the brain has disowned your real hand and it has adopted the rubber hand in its place. So weird. Anyways, the original rubber hand study had big implications. It showed how the brain's bodily awareness was in fact fragile, and it kicked off a whole field of study on the subject. But optical illusions are just one way our brains can lose sense of where our bodies are, what's real and what isn't. Damage, disease, mental illness can all warp these processes too. I once met someone who lost two fingers working on an oil rig in the 1970s and told me that he feels his fingers every day. So those are phantom fingers that have persisted for almost 50 years. You're listening to All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Today, the brain, the body, and the wild ways the two can get disconnected. Yeah, I'll ask you more about bodily awareness, but just going back to the rubber hand experiment itself, I mean, that's wild that the brain would start to like disassociate from its own hand and think the rubber hand is its own. Why does the brain do that? How? What's going on there? Because it feels like a pretty fundamental skill that the brain should be able to know who and where we are in space. Well, I think, first of all, awareness of our bodies, it's very fragile. And our sense of body ownership, our sense of control over our bodies is based on very limited information, really. And and the brain is receiving this constant influx of, of information, and it's using that to essentially generate its best guess about what's going on. In in some sense, the body, it's just another object that 
the brain is perceiving. When when you look at a chair, you rarely see the chair in its entirety, but based on your past experiences, you know that it's a chair and what the brain is doing is filling in the gaps and guessing what you're looking at. Just so I understand that properly, do you mean like, you know, you walk into a room and you see, you know, the basic shape of a chair and you're like, that's a chair, uh, but you're not necessarily looking at the finer details of its construction or like design elements. You just see the shape of a chair and you're like, that's a chair, I'm going to go sit on it. Yeah, you may never have seen that chair before. How many different chair designs are there? There must be tens or hundreds of Mm. thousands. Right. But you recognize a chair as a chair every single time based on certain common properties, based on what you know about what this particular object is used for. Mm -hmm. And so that in a nutshell is how we can confuse a rubber hand for our own hand. Yeah, I think so. And Awareness of the body works in very much the same way, except the result of your perception is not an object in the outside world. The result of your perception of your body is yourself. And the brain doesn't like discrepancies. And so when there's a mismatch, when there's some kind of anomaly that doesn't fit its expectations, it's guessing at Mm. what's going on and, and, and it can be very easily tricked. Before we get into some of the other ways the brain can be tricked, think phantom limb syndrome, anorexia, and something called Alice in Wonderland syndrome, all of which we'll get into, it helps to first understand how the brain works to perceive the body when all is normal. No illusions, no disease. The brain interprets the body via a continuous stream of sensory information. So that would be things like visual information, or tactile information, or sound, and proprioception, or muscle sense. And then there's also signals that come from inside, from the gut and other internal organs. All of that gets sent to the brain, which then has to make sense of all of this process called multi-sensory integration and it uses this information to generate some kind of model of the body that makes us aware of our body and its movement. Right, so that's baseline operation. Most of the time it, it does a very good job. But this is what can get messed up when we lose bodily awareness. And that term, bodily awareness, what that means is both pretty straightforward, awareness of the body, but it's nuanced too. There are two components to bodily awareness. There's body ownership. Our sense that our body belongs to us. Now, that seems like a very trivial question, but there are very complex mechanisms underlying this. And then there is body agency. The sense that we're in control of our bodies and that we are responsible for our actions. And the interesting thing is that one of these can be disturbed while the other one remains intact. So, for example, in a very rare condition experienced by some stroke patients called alien hand syndrome, the patient believes one of their limbs has taken on a life of its own. Hmm. And so it 
performs movements, but they deny that they are in control. And yet they don't believe the limb doesn't belong to them. They say, this is my hand, but I'm not in control of it. So they lose the sense of agency over the limb, but retain ownership over it. Mm. In another condition called somatoparaphrenia, the opposite happens. So the, the patient is in full control of the limb, but they suffer from a delusional belief that it belongs to somebody else. So body ownership and a sense of agency are related but distinct because you can perturb one but leave the other intact. Let's talk a bit more about how illness affects how we perceive our bodies, starting with anorexia nervosa. What's going on in the brains of people with this disorder that's affecting the sensory information that they're processing differently? Well, that's still an open question, Mm. really. There is some evidence that the maps or models of the body within the brain are somehow distorted in patients with anorexia. But there's more evidence and quite compelling evidence that there's also something going on in the gut. So Hmm. one aspect of bodily awareness is these internal bodily signals, Mm -hmm. which we call interoception. So there, there are signals sent up to the brain from the internal organs. And there is evidence that people with anorexia have great difficulty interpreting some of these signals. So most of us, when we're hungry, we experience pangs in our stomach. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're thirsty, our mouth gets dry. But there's good evidence that these mechanisms are perturbed in people with anorexia. So they may have more difficulty interpreting gut signals as meaning they're hungry, or they may take a a mouthful of food and decide they're full up. And given what we know about how fragile and easily manipulated the brain and bodily awareness is, are there treatments now that are tapping into that to try to treat anorexia? Not yet, but research does point to different avenues for novel treatments. For example, there are a number of labs investigating what they call interoceptive training. So we may be able to actually learn how to interpret these internal signals more accurately. So that's one possible approach. Another is to manipulate the external signals that the body produces to try to alter how someone with anorexia might perceive their bodies. So there's at least one group that I know of that has been working on how the sounds our bodies make can influence how we perceive ourselves. So mostly looking at, for example, footfalls, you know, the the sounds we make when we're walking. And remarkably, the brain uses these sounds and incorporates this information to generate 
its mental picture of the body. And there's one group that's actually developing a pair of shoes connected to loudspeakers or headphones that can actually manipulate the sound of a person's footfalls Hmm. to alter how they perceive their bodies. For example, the footfalls of a heavier person would sound different from, from those of a lighter person. Those kinds of properties can quite easily be manipulated and fed back to the person wearing the sandals in real time and and in in, uh, under laboratory conditions these kinds of manipulations do temporarily alter Mm. how participants perceive their bodies. That work is being done by Spanish researchers in a project called Magic Shoes. So that sounds quite far-fetched but At some point, something like that could form the basis of a treatment, not just for anorexia, but for various other conditions where our body perception is disturbed. So anorexia is one of the most well-known and deadly illnesses that distorts how the brain perceives the body. A neurological disorder you've probably never heard of that also distorts perception is Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Well, this is a very rare condition and it involves visual hallucinations in which body parts appears to be distorted. So it's named after Lewis Carroll's book, of course, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And as you probably know, many people will know, involves Alice drinking from a bottle labelled Drink Me. And she takes a drink and she shrinks and she eats a cupcake or something like this and and her neck telescopes 20 feet into the air and so on. This is actually very similar to some of the visual hallucinations described by a small number of migraine sufferers. Some migraine sufferers experience what's called an aura before the onset of their headache and some of those experience these hallucinations where their body is distorted or they might also perceive nearby objects to be changed in size during the aura and and in in the 1940s if i remember rightly or or the 50s, a neurologist noticed the similarity mm. between the hallucinations that his patients described and those that Lewis Carroll described, hence the name of the right. syndrome. And some neurologists now believe that Lewis Carroll himself must have suffered from migraines and experienced these hallucinations because his descriptions of them are so vivid and Mm. and similar to the descriptions from migraine sufferers later on. Do we know anything about why certain migraine sufferers would get these hallucinations? Like, is is the migraine affecting a certain part of the brain or do we know anything about the mechanism? Not really. Migraine isn't the only cause. I would suggest that 
the syndrome is very likely caused by waves of abnormal electrical activity sweeping over parts of the brain that generate the brain's body maps and models. That, to me, seems like a very likely explanation. But it's actually very difficult to study because the symptoms arise out of nowhere Mm. and they're not very long lasting. They might last a few minutes, they might last a few hours or even a few days, but they're rarely long lasting. And so that makes it almost impossible to you know, scan a patient's brain while they're actually experiencing right. symptoms. So th- th- there may be one or two brain scanning studies, but the vast majority of reports are based on subjective reports given by the patient long after they experienced the symptoms. I want to move on to talking briefly about phantom limbs. What what happens when someone loses a limb? Well, almost invariably an, an amputee will experience phantom limb syndrome. And this is the sensation that the missing limb is still attached to the body. And there are various explanations for how phantom limb syndrome arises and One of those is that the missing limb is still represented in in the brain's maps and Hmm. models of the body. But the region of the map corresponding to the missing limb suddenly becomes deprived of sensory Hmm. information. The limb's no longer there. But the brain remembers it. The brain remembers it and you've got this patch of body map tissue that used to encode information, that doesn't just sit idle and and do nothing. What happens is that it starts to take on other functions. So these these maps are organized in what neurologists call a somatotopic manner. That is to say that adjacent body parts are represented in adjacent patches of brain tissue And so when one region of the map is deprived of sensory inputs, the surrounding patches from adjacent body parts encroach on on this piece of tissue that, that suddenly became redundant. And this patch of tissue, it starts to process information from the adjacent body parts. And yet it retains some kind of memory or 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 imprint of its original function. And that's one explanation for why amputees experience phantom sensation. They can often be very, very painful as well. So it's not just vivid sensation that the the missing limb is still attached to their body, but they can also feel excruciating pain. And these sensations aren't restricted to limbs practically any body part after it's been removed can can give rise to phantom sensations so women who have mastectomies can can experience phantom breasts men who have a penis 
surgically remove can experience phantom erections yeah. <laughs> you can experience phantom teeth phantom eyes people people who have cancerous bowels removed can can experience phantom feces and and phantom wow. farts oh, wow all of these um, remarkable <laughs> they all sound um frustrating in, in in various ways but my god a phantom erection sounds especially frustrating it certainly it certainly does I, and i i don't mean to to uh to make light of any of these i i find it mm. fascinating but it any of these must be extremely frustrating yeah indeed. yeah absolutely and do we know is it long term or is it a sort of a short-term thing after the removal of a, a limb or body part um, is it something you experience forevermore afterwards again that varies but very few people don't experience them at all some experience phantoms in the weeks or months following an amputation and, and some people experience them vividly for the rest of their lives. Uh, I once met someone who lost two fingers working on, on an oil rig in the early 1970s and, and told me that he feels his fingers every day wow. so those are phantom fingers that have persisted for almost 50 years wow that's incredible what do all these syndromes uh, and and the way the brain can be manipulated as well has that made you think differently about your own body and mind you know through writing this book funnily enough it it hasn't it hasn't really changed the way I view myself very much, actually. Hmm. A, a lot of these processes, and um, they're not something we ever think about, you know. Most of mm -hmm. them are happening outside of our conscious awareness. But we become aware of certain aspects of our body when we need to, mm. you know. If you hit your thumb with a with a hammer, you become very, very aware, right? And your thumb might might feel five, ten times its normal size. Pain is something that significantly alters how we perceive our bodies. Mm. So I'm sorry, this this doesn't answer your question at all. I'm sorry, but my my point was that uh, your question was: Has writing my book changed how I look at myself and I'm afraid it, it hasn't really but that's that's why you yeah. know it's because most of the time all of this stuff is is going on outside of of our conscious awareness Speaking of consciousness, Mo says as our understanding of bodily awareness grows so does our understanding of what it means to be conscious I think this whole area of research is it's helping to change at least how scientists view consciousness. What What is consciousness? This is one of the biggest mysteries of science. And for a 
for a long time they focused on awareness of the outside world what's going on in the brain when you look at some visual stimulus but consciousness doesn't just mean being aware of the outside world it, it means being aware of yourself mm. and so you know when looking at what they called the neural correlates of consciousness they were ignoring half of the picture really and the body plays a very important role in self-consciousness and this idea also forces us to rethink our beliefs about what does or doesn't possess consciousness you know as as little as 20 30 years ago it was probably quite widely believed that only a very few organisms actually possess consciousness the idea that an insect for example possesses consciousness not many people would have entertained that but there's now evidence that even insects have some aspect of uh, bodily awareness you know so if if bodily awareness is a core component of self-consciousness as mm -hmm. i argue in my book then it follows that insects must possess a basic form of consciousness mm. all living things must we could even extend that to robots which is something i i never would have imagined saying <laughs> myself but some researchers are building robots that can self-program based on experience with a model of their bodies and you can chop one of their legs off and it will alter its self-model and adjust its gait. Wow. So if this robot has awareness of its body, does, does that mean it also has a basic form of consciousness? And I'm arguing that maybe, yes, <laughs> it does. These are huge, fascinating, perhaps confronting questions. And they stem in part from what the rubber hand illusion demonstrated back in the 90s. Many variations of it have since been experimented with, including whole body swap studies. But for Mo, it's also just a pretty effective party trick. I've I've performed the rubber hand myself many times, usually in the pub with <laughs> friends. And often I didn't actually have my rubber hand with me. So I realized that I don't need a rubber hand. I can use a real person's hand as a substitute for the, the rubber hand. So someone's sitting at the table and I'd get another person to stand behind them and put their arm through under their armpit, you know, and <laughs> onto the tabletop. I was sometimes tempted to actually stab the person's hand with a knife but I never went that far <laughs> but I have actually not only have I you know I've performed the rubber hand illusion with like a white guy and a black woman or vice versa and and I've transferred the effect across race and mm. sex so and yeah. regardless the brain will take whatever hand as its own yeah but there <laughs> There are limits, you sure. know, so it has to look like a hand, first of all, you know, your yeah. your brain won't take ownership of a block of wood, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there are 
limits, but race and sex aren't boundaries. Right. So, okay, if listeners get nothing else from the show, if they don't reflect on consciousness and what it means to to be in the world and how our brains, you know, interpret the world, then at least they get a party gag. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool party trick. That's Mo Costandi, neuroscientist, science writer, and author of Body MI, the new science of self-consciousness. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Isabella Tropiano. That's it for All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.